Yes, Barheads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous opportunity to gather together as a family. A family structure that you've provided for each individual hearing my voice this morning that's gathered here at North Christian Church. We are an eclectic group, Father, but we're a group that you put together from eternity past to learn and to grow in a way that's unique to this congregation, Father. We're so blessed to be able to recognize and realize and live in such things and be able to fellowship in love with each other as we grow as individuals. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this evening for a variety of reasons, and we pray for those that are still lost. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt against us and to make an evening like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> Again, undistracted devotion to the Lord, part 18. I want to open up with a passage that was inspired to be read this past Tuesday. Only this time, we're going to read the entire chapter. Um, and while doing so, we're going to think about all the times the Spirit's taken us back to this beloved chapter over the past few years, especially since the Gospel Reload. And also, while doing this primary thing, um, let's also consider how many parallels we are able to draw in our own world today, or maybe even more specifically, our own lives. So when we read this chapter, this amazing chapter in Holy Scripture, it's just mind-blowing. Um, we ought to think about all the things we've, or all the times we've gone back there over the past few years, and then also the elements of the chapter itself. How does, or how do they reflect upon our lives? Go to Colossians three one, Colossians three verse one. <clears throat> really want to mind blow it's not in my lesson this evening but Ephesians 1 is always um, just incredible read but we're in Colossians 3 1 this evening we saw the I believe the first couple of verses on Tuesday but we're gonna read the chapter therefore verse 1 therefore if you have been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Set your mind on the things above. That should bring a spiritual smile to your face. Without a doubt, without fail, unless something's wrong in your life, unless something's precluding you from enjoying that statement, set your mind on the things above. When I read that, I just go, oh, because oh, the things on earth are wearying. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, don't be mistaken, don't forget that reality. When Christ, who is our life, the only reason you're alive, enjoying eternal life, even a portion of it, is because of Him. When Christ, who is our life, you know, I hear a lot of people, oh, that's my whole life. No, it's not. Christ is. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you, will all, you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked, when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, 
malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on, this is that Greek word in duo, put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on. Look at what we're doing. We're putting on. What? Love. Beyond all that. Beyond all the specifics, even. If you're going to take away one thing, it's love. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Remember, that's essentially the same thing as being filled with the Spirit. Verse 17, whatever you do, how many lessons have we had on doing Doing. Do not be a hearer who merely deludes themselves. James 1.22, right? Doing. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, that's our governing factor. Whatever we do, whatever you're going to do today, tomorrow, the next day, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. More specifically, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, Fearing the Lord, <clears throat> whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Again, what a wonderful passage in the Word of God. Again, what do you see with respect to our own world today? How many times have we gone back there? How many times have we reflected upon those verses? And how about your own lives? What do you think about when you read such a passage, um, when you reflect upon your own life? That's between you and the Lord. I don't know. So many things to think about when we read a passage like that. And you know, the clarity on the chapter is really in the introduction where Paul says in verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. That's where we get our most clarity. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Some of you might be stricken. I don't know. It's possible. Some of you might be stricken with a heavy conscience right about now. My counsel is to say thank you. Go ahead, say it in your own soul. Say thank you to God in these moments, for they are the ones that truly make a difference. If we're honest, we usually don't make adjustments to our decision-making unless there's a heavy hand upon us. I mean, we're just stubborn jackasses, basically. We have to remember, though, that the Word of God is truth. And truth makes us free by cutting to the chase swiftly and convincingly. This is something we noted on Tuesday up here on the board. The sword of the Spirit, the Word, 
by grace, the Spirit uses the sword, which is the Word of God, to cut us uh, precisely in all the right places and with perfect timing in our lives. And we are grateful for the healing it brings. Being cut, is that ever not painful? Usually it's painful. But if there's a cancer in you, then it's good to have it cut out. It may be painful, but it's good in the long run. Hebrews 4.12, Ephesians 6.17. I was thinking about this. We have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to be grateful for. It's amazing that we forget. I spent a whole hour the other day on that topic in my own life. I said, what the heck is wrong with you, man? I hadn't thought about in a long time. Things, I mean, I think I was standing at my computer because I stand now. If anybody has neck problems, by the way, that's a good idea, get a standing position computer. And I was looking out my window and I said, I remember moving into this house like eight years ago, I think it was, and being filled with joy because I had a nice lawn, because there was a couple of nice trees out there. There was, you know, nice things. It was just blessing, birds, you know, blessings from God. And I hadn't actually looked out at it that way in a long time. And it sparked something. And so I, I made a point for the next, you know, until I get ridiculous again. I made a point of appreciating things that I had become familiar with. It's a good exercise. It really rejuvenates you, honestly. Take, take some time. There's so many of you that I think that just sort of, you know, you race home, you race in the driveway, you run upstairs, you go, you plop down, you hit the TiVo button, and, you, you know, you have this routine, and you, in the routine itself, in that routine, you forget about all the things that are going by, and you forget about what to be grateful for, and there's all these things and so much to be grateful for. It's astounding that we even have the audacity to forget, frankly. So we need constant reminders, what I'll call perspective changes, attitude adjustments. Fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, we ended on Tuesday with some perspective on the great thing in our lives, which is salvation and sanctification. For a couple of weeks now, the Spirit's been reminding us of some pretty fundamental truths found in the Word of God, and they are truly meant to set us free by giving us said perspective. The key principle in view has been this, that faith is an activity, not just a forensic fact, not just some dusty artifact from 2010, 2030, I don't know, whatever, however long it's been for each of us, from years ago. Faith is actively upheld, not just established once. Being given, saving, delivering faith is more like a starting point than an end point. And I think a lot of people would do well to think about salvation that way. It's a starting point. It's not like, yay, I got it. I got it. I got the Holy Grail, right, of, of, of got it's. I'm saved. Scott finished on Tuesday with the following corollary up here on the board. Our perseverance as believers doesn't depend upon us, but on Him. Is that AC on? Oh. Our perseverance as believers doesn't depend upon us, but on Him. Remember, even faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8. Even the faith we have to believe comes from Him. He calls us and elects us. He grants us the repentance and faith to turn to Him and be saved. He empowers it all, and therefore He is the one who keeps us saved, gives us persevering faith even. And so in light of this, God is telling us to excel still more up here on the board. God is calling you out to live out your salvation as a reality in your daily living. God is calling you out 
to live out your salvation as a reality in your daily living. Go to Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. Not just look at salvation as some artifact. Philippians 2, 12. He's saying, I want you to live it out. I want you to excel still more. Ephesians 2.12 So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. That's from Katagazomai up here on the board. Work out to effect by labor. Achieve. Work out. Bring about. Literally, work down to the end point. For an example, to exact, definite conclusion. Now, why would the Word of God be saying that after you're saved? If salvation is the end point. If you being saved at, you know, 10, 20 years ago was the end goal. It's not the end goal. That's the whole point. That's why it's salvation and sanctification. That's why we think about God's perspective, that this whole plan is part of salvation. We, didn't, we, don't, we shouldn't think about salvation. Nor when we're given the gospel. Oh, how ugly is that? To just say, hey, will you just believe? Because then you can run off and have your own life again. But just get right with Jesus. That lie is still peddled out there. Just come down the aisle or say this prayer or, you know, humor me. Just get saved, and then you can do whatever you want. But just get saved. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because that's not how salvation works. That's a lie. And that's why it says, work out your salvation. Because that, being saved, is the starting point, not the end point. There's a definite end point, but it's over here. It's in front of us. So work out to effect by labor, achieve, work out, bring about, literally, work down to the end point. For example, to an exact, definite conclusion. So hopefully you see what the original language gives us here. If not, let me help you. What we see is that this salvation that the Bible speaks so commonly of is not a one-time event. It is not. There's a starting point. You might say there's a starting point. That's sort of a one-time event. But salvation is not to be thought of as a one-time event, especially not given the fact that we're saved daily, that we're kept saved by a faith that He provides actively, ongoingly. That's a perspective change for a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians that, who even knows if they're real Christians have this ancient thing that they point to. And they say, oh, yeah, when I was 14, I believed. How does that even mean, man? What does that actually even mean? Because I get saved daily. You're saying you got saved 20 years ago. I get saved daily. What's, what's, what, what's going I need saving more than you? <laughs> I need a, a daily helping? A daily dose and somehow you got everything you needed because that was the end point for you? My end point's over here. I'm not even there yet. That's what Paul said. Work out my own salvation to some definite end. That means it's still in front of me. That means there's still work to be done. That means there's still sanctification that has to happen. Point A to point B. That's not the way the average Christian thinks about salvation. That's what scares me the most in this world. That is, honest to goodness, what, scare, what scares me the most in this world is that we have a Christianity today that peddles a false gospel. And when I say a false gospel, I'm talking about a gospel that really does point to some truth. There's truth in it, but it's not the whole truth. So what we see in the Bible is that salvation is not a one-time event. Yes, there is a definite starting point from man's perspective. 
However, that's just it. Salvation is merely a starting point. It's not the end goal. Being saved proper, you know, salvation proper, is a starting point, not the end goal. That would be like saying that God created Adam and Eve in the garden as an end goal. Think about that. It's not the end goal. Let me ask you an analogous question. If you have a baby, is the birth the end goal or the starting point? If you have a baby, is the birth of the child the end goal or the starting point? Oh, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) Stupid question, right? After all, the Bible says that we are born again at so-called starting point. Well, then why do so many so-called Christians, so-called Christians, postulate that salvation is the end goal? And then why do these same people suggest that people run about afterwards waiting for heaven to enjoy eternal life rather than living in it right now? Why is that even part of the equation? My argument has been the same for years now. Anyone who thinks that way may have a much bigger problem. They may not even be saved. That is my great fear. Honestly, of all the fears that I have, and you can say, oh, that you're not supposed to be fear. Whatever. Of all the fear I have, Paul, exa- Paul expressed same kind of fear. It's the, there's a boatload of so-called Christians that are not saved because they've believed in a lie. That really, really bothers me a lot. But honestly, if you think of salvation wrongly, you have to ask the question. Again, what does Philippians 2.12 say and imply? It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, the Greek for work out is katergazomai, to affect by labor, achieve, work out, bring about, literally work down to the end point. Example to an exact, definite conclusion. And then we get, to, or we get the added clarity just so we don't become religious. In other words, you hear, oh, ergasm, i got to work, 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 affect by labor. I'm going to become religious now. Mm-mm. Look at verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you. So there you have that sort of paradoxical um, thing that dichotomy, if you would, between we are (laughs) commanded to work out our salvation, but then it's God who works in us. So you have this duality, this thing. So like I said, I think it was on Sunday, we're joint laborers. That's our partnership. Again, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure is at work up here on the board. You might recognize the Greek. Where do you think we get energy from, right? Energeo. It means to energize. Working in a situation which brings it from one stage, a point, to the next. Sounds like sanctification, doesn't it? Well, that's God at work in us. Like an electrical current energizing a wire, bringing it to a shining light bulb. So... God is at work in us, energizes this sanctification process, but yet we are also commanded to work out our salvation. So we have a partnership here. Like a light bulb, is it fair to say that you physically exist? Yeah. And like a light bulb, energy passes through you so you may light up, right? In this way, you are precisely what the Bible says you are, a vessel of mercy, Romans 9.23. You're a vessel. That's what it means to be. It doesn't mean the vessel doesn't exist. It means it does exist. It means God energizes it, energeo. God energizes that vessel 
so that you illuminate. Again, this way you have precisely what the Bible says, a vessel of mercy. And if you think of North Christian Church, we're like a chandelier almost. I hate to get weird, but holding a bunch of lights that shine forth as lights in the world, to borrow from Philippians 2.15. Again, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He energizes us. He works in a situation which basically sanctifies us, brings us from point A, starting point, salvation proper, sanctification, point A to point B, from faith to faith, Romans 1.17, we're energized to do this thing. Like an electrical current energizing a wire, bringing it to a shining light bulb. And then finally we get some advice. Verse 14, Philippians 2.14. Here's some good advice. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as what? Lights in the world. Lights in the world, holding fast the what? Word of life, up here on the board. The word of life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Remember the lampstand analogy? The light was the gospel. This is the word of life, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the substance of our salvation, our reason for our living hope, 1 Peter 1.3, our reason for living. That's why I call it living the gospel reality. You can call it whatever you want, but it's the word of life for us, for we believers. It is the gospel. It's the substance of our salvation the reason for our living hope, our reason even for living. I mean, what other purpose is greater than the gospel in our lives? Nothing. Nothing is greater, nothing should be greater in our lives than the gospel. Go to 1 Peter 1.3. I want to read the surrounding passage. 1 Peter 1.3, speaking of a living hope going to also tie together the first part of our message regarding being born again, which implies a starting point. As you all agreed, that being a birth is a starting point, not an end goal. It's the start of a new life. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again, there it is, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Whew! I hope you see it. Salvation is alive. It's us. It's the word of life to us, the gospel, being saved, being part of his plan, his salvation plan. means we're born again to a living hope. One last thing came up on Tuesday worth repeating up here on the board. Spiritual tattoos don't rely on the outward appearance, rely on the inner imprint of the spirit. What do you think circumcision of the heart is? And I think Scott... I'm just going to borrow from Scott's uh, lesson here. He, he wanted to get here. Um, he even kind of requested that I give you his notes on this thing. So I'm going to um, go off of his notes for a moment. But this is where he ended on Tuesday because he ran out of time. Don't rely on the outward appearance. Rely on the inner imprint of the Spirit. What do you think circumcision of the heart is? Well, we know that physical circumcision is a symbol of spiritual circumcision. As is the case with the Old Testament law, circumcision was a mere shadow, something man could perform. However, only God can change the heart of a man. Go to Deuteronomy 30, verse 5. Only God can change the heart of a man. Deuteronomy 30, verse 5. 
Deuteronomy 30, verse 5. <clears throat> verse 5 says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Up here on the board, we hear echoes of that in Paul's writings, Romans 2.29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So it's been this theme throughout our messages as of late, that God is asking us to excel still more. We have the means necessary to do just that up here on the board. This is from Sunday. The word is alive, so are we. 1 Corinthians 3.9, I alluded to this earlier, states, For we are God's fellow workers. This means that we have an active role in His plan, in His sanctification of us. That's that dichotomy that we talked about earlier. Work out your own salvation, but it's God who's at work in you. We are God's fellow workers. And this is all the Spirit's trying to remind us of. Remember, it's all about perspective. All this stuff, it's about perspective. It's not about doing religious stuff like circumcision and visible things like that. It's about what God can do in us as uh, our primary worker. And again, oh, 1 Corinthians 3.9 again, For we are God's fellow workers. This means that we have an active role in His plan in his sanctification of us. And as we've been learning, the key to success is one big word, all caps, obedience. Obedience. What is it? I can't hear you, I'm sorry. Obedience. There you go. It sounds like it was painful to say. <laughs> Pinching, it's like when you get a needle, it's like you pinch this arm. You should do that. It works. Anyways. Obedience. As I wrote in last week's blog up here on the board, heaven on earth, since we cannot produce peace or joy on our own, our occupation ought to be with that which produces righteousness, namely obedience. If you want, in other words, if you want peace and joy in your life, obey. Because that's those are fruit of righteousness. Obey. It turns out that obedience is an elemental component of both salvation and sanctification. That's why we don't just obey 20 years ago. We continue to obey. That's what it means to work out your salvation. With what? Fear and trembling. Which induce obedience. You obey those you fear. And who should you fear more than God? No one. So it turns out that obedience is an elemental component of both salvation and sanctification. Just think about the very first commands you followed just to be saved. Repent and believe. Obey. Repent and believe. That's obedience. That's how you got into his salvation plan. That was the starting point. You had to obey Him from the get-go. From the get-go. You had to obey. And an arrogant person never obeys. They always try to find a loophole. Right? But from the very beginning, from the starting point of His salvation, His sanctification of you, there were commands. Those are the whopper ones, right? Repent, believe, etc. But right from the beginning, this, this, the hallmark of salvation and sanctification is obedience. Which, of course, the underlying premise is humility, because only a humble person will obey. When you honestly study the Bible, and I hope, I really do hope, I don't know how, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just going to say until I die, I guess. I hope you just keep reading your Bible. I really do. Just keep reading it. Even if you just, you know, 
I went through a slump recently. I'm not ashamed to say it. I mean, it's shameful, but I'm not ashamed to say it. I went through a slump recently. I wasn't reading as much as I should. And I looked in the mirror and said, what are you doing? Why are you not reading your Bible more? And I'm like, ah, it's ridiculous. But you know what? I'm reading it again the way I should be reading it. Whole chapters at a time, multiple chapters, sometimes whole books at a time. That's my spiritual walk. Whatever. But even if you read a chapter at a time, something's better than nothing. Let's see. Chapter of the Bible. Front page of, the, of U.S. news. And, or whatever newspaper you might get. Purely good stuff. Garbage. Or you turn on the television. Is there any such thing as good news anymore? I don't think so. Every time you open up your Bible, it's good news. Turn on the television, it's bad news. They found three bodies in your basement of your neighbor. <laughs> you knew something was wrong. <laughs> I'm serious, though. When you honestly study the Bible, you end up with something that looks like this. You don't have to copy this verbatim in your own soul, but these are the basic premises that stick out. I mean, if you want peace and joy in your life, <clears throat> humility is the key to the spiritual life. That is the uh, preeminent statement from this pulpit. Humility is the key to the spiritual life. Obedience is the evidence of it, ensuring righteousness. Righteousness has fruit. Devotion is the focus activity, and peace and joy are the results. Those are just baseline tenets of the Word of God. To echo from Sunday's message, we might think about God's, I call it His ecosystem. All I'm trying to say is that there's a wholeness to Him, to His plan. Things aren't disjoint. Things aren't to be chopped up into pieces. Um, so when I use this term, I don't mean to sound like an economist or something. I'm just trying to get you all to think about interdependencies that come along with understanding the big picture. Just always think. If you're thinking about his justice, remember his love. If you're thinking about his righteousness, think about his patience. If you're thinking about his patience, think about some other aspect that you know to be true in the Word of God. And that's the beauty about Studying the Word of God, God gets bigger to us. God's ecosystem must be thought of in just this way, as a collective, not as a bunch of discrete, unrelated particulars, but rather as something divinely unified that we have entree into when we're saved. That's the starting point. That's the beauty. I mean, when we're saved, you know, the salvation proper, we know like this much about God. Woohoo! You mean he saved a wretch like me? Mm-hmm. And then we just keep learning, and he gets bigger and bigger. I mean, he's infinitely large, but in our own heads, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So God's ecosystem must be thought of in just this way as a collective, not as a bunch of discrete, unrelated particulars, but rather as something divinely unified that we have entree into when we are saved. In other words, up here on the board, God is infinitely large in every way. And he's never, he's never intends or he never intends to give us himself in pieces. That's never been his intention, even though we like to do that to him. People get lopsided. He's never intended to give us himself in pieces. I mean, is that one of the worst things that you hate when someone does? Ah, oh, you're so impatient. You're so this. That's really all you know me for? I have a moment. You've met me three times. I have a, you've, all three times you met me at a really bad time or something like that, and that's what you think of me? Well, that kind of sucks. Imagine being God, and, and you've got him pigeonholed into like these three little buckets or something. Well, I prayed to God, and he didn't give me what I wanted, and now my granddad's dead. And I did this, and now this, and now this happened. 
Is that fair to God? No. It's not fair to you. You wouldn't stand for it even. Imagine the holy God of the universe. We can flip the tables as well and then turn them into some kind of mush pod. All he does is, you know, love and forgive and there's no justice or, you know, integrity. Nonetheless, God is infinitely large in every way and he never intends to give us himself in pieces, even though we like to do that to him. So the Holy Spirit is reminding us that we never want to have a lopsided view of God. We want to know him intimately. And here's where we ended on Sunday. Remember, do not forget the title of our messages, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. He knows the way back to that. He says, listen, if you just get to know me, you're going to love me. This is what he's doing. He's saying, we just come back to me. He's tried the first love route. He's gone, he's gone love proper sanctification, salvation, saved daily. Look at all the avenues he's using to take you back to him. He says, if you just come back to me, you'll love me. I promise you. And Satan's doing everything in his grip, white-knuckling you, does not want to let you out of his grip. Wants you to believe that, that love exists somewhere else, that he can provide love, some counterfeit love, that he can give you what you're looking for, and he can't. That's the great deception. That's why it takes some people so many years to realize. Some people go 50, 60 years before they give up on it, on the great deception, that the world can give them the thing they want the most, which really is love, let's face it. And in and, and like Solomon, they might have a, just a, a, a huge a litany of experiments behind them, failed experiments, I tried that about seven times. That didn't work. That never made me happy. I tried this. That didn't work. I tried this person and that person and that person. They all didn't work. I tried all these things. Sounds like Solomon, right? And none of it worked. It's just a big mess of failed experience. It's like, you know, broken beakers and test tubes and chemicals all over the floor. Nothing worked. Blowing up your hairs like, you know, you're all blown up in the lab called life, right? It doesn't work. It's all a big lie. And God's just saying, I promise you, come back to me. Starts with reading your Bible. You know, taking the grace that's given you, North Christian Church, blogs, lessons, all that kind of good stuff. Come back to me. Obey, because I tell you to obey. Even that bald guy, obey him too. When he says a certain something, do it. Listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. Take his encouragement for what it is. If you do all these things, if you obey, you come back to me, I swear to you, you're going to find love. You're going to love what you find. You're going to love me. Why not just cut to the chase? Isn't that what he's kind of saying? Why not just say, all right, listen, ultimately, we're all going to be in heaven, believers, right? What do you think we're going to be enveloped in? His love. Wouldn't it just be, doesn't it make sense? Even like natural reasoning. If you can get a piece of that now, why wouldn't you do it? Why wait? If you can have that, heaven on earth, remember the blog? Heaven on earth, it's not, look, it's not hot fudge Sundays. It's not romance. What else did I use? I don't know, a couple of things in there. Like, oh, I didn't read it. <laughs> Hence my point, right? It's none of these things. People say, oh, it's heaven on earth. No, it's not. I went, to, I, went to, I went to Aruba. It's heaven on earth. No, it's not. It's nice, but it's not heaven on earth. <laughs> I did this. It's heaven. No. Heaven on earth is, experiencing heaven on earth is the result of righteousness and its fruit. And the only way you get there one big word is, nope, it's not there anymore. Obedience. So if the ordained man of God says, read your Bible, what should you do? Read your Bible. 
If that same vessel says, read the blogs, I spend hours on them. You know what you do? You read the blogs. <laughs> That's what obedience looks like. That's what obedience looks like. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. <laughs> Why? Because I'm in this for myself? No. Because God's got it in for you. And he's trying to draw you back. And some of you are so stubborn. Nope, I'm not ready yet. That's your answer. I'm not ready yet. Well, when are you going to be ready? You've been saying that for a decade. I'm not ready yet. I want to experiment in the lab some more. I want to blow up a few more beakers, start a few more fires. What do you mean you're not ready yet? You're not ready for heaven yet? You're not ready to experience eternal life yet? That's between you and the Lord. But this is the Holy Spirit's reminding us of these things. He's reminding us that, truth be told, we want to know God intimately. At the end of the day, that's what this is about. That's why I hope you hear this this evening. That you are searching and seeking and desiring intimacy with God. The holy God of the universe, your creator, your Lord and Savior. You're thirsting. You're hungry for intimacy from Him. I hope that's why you're here. So here's where we ended on Sunday. The Spirit saying, So, you want to know God intimately? Then start obeying Him. I mean, raise your hand if you don't want intimacy with God. Then obey. You can't have both. That's the whole point. He says, because obedience implies intimacy. Disobedience implies alienation. Do you understand? That's all he's saying. He's like, you want, you want intimacy with me? You want sweet fellowship with me? You want to know what love looks like? You want, you want to know these things? You want to actually experience them in time? Then obey. Because when you obey, it saddles you right up next to righteousness. And I am righteousness. And oh, by the way, I'm also love. So if you want to saddle yourself up to love, obey. Read, go home and read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Some of you are like, that's asking an awful lot. I know. Trust me, I know. Homework. Can you imagine that? Homework. <laughs> Romans 6.19, part B. So now present peristemi, Greek. Receive marching orders. Military connotation, that whole thing. Present yourselves, members. Present your members, excuse me, as slaves of, to righteousness, resulting in what? Ta-da! Sanctification. Obey, receive, which is a command. Take in the Word of God, which is a command. And then when you get the Word of God, obey the commands, obey whatever it is you receive from marching orders. Another command. And when you obey, it results in something, something glorious, to the glory of God even. Sanctification. Any questions? That's literally what the Bible says. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no when you're ready. There's no I want to I want to I want to fool around a little bit longer. I want to go play in the lab a little bit longer. I want to do this stuff a little bit longer. That is antithetical to peace and joy. Literally, antithetical to peace and joy. Whatever it is you think you're enjoying is a counterfeit. If it's not from God, it's a counterfeit. Your flesh may love it. But nonetheless, it's a counterfeit. God just wants you, I don't know, why don't we let Scripture say it? This is what God wants, you ready? He wants you to take your marching orders. He wants you to obey because that is your sanctification. That's the result. 
But this is the will of God. Ta-da! You have sanctification. So what do you think he wants you to do? He's like the supreme general. Take your marching orders. Let's go do this thing. We're in the middle of a bloodbath here. You're out gallivanting and playing around and playing poker with the enemy and having a gay old time. Cheers! <laughs> I think you might be missing the point of war. Those are our enemies. You're marching orders to, to fight, off, fight that stuff off, to put on the full armor of God, to prepare for battle, not get into bed with the enemy. But it's so much fun. What the Spirit's saying is your joy and your peace are at risk, basically. Because God's not mocked. So I hope you see it. I hope you see that the Spirit's trying to motivate you here. And I hope you realize that you have a real purpose in this life. That the Holy God of the universe chose you, even, from eternity past. Go to Ephesians, speaking of Ephesians 1. Go to Ephesians 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Maybe some of you probably, man, this is like a, such a bummer. <laughs> right? Take away all the fun. How about go back to the way we started when you guys were all nodding when we started off class this evening um, when we were talking about and considering all the things we should be grateful for, but we're not. The only problem with you is you've become familiar with your life. That's your problem. You've got a bazillion things to be thankful for, but you don't ever take the time to actually think about them and be grateful for them. All you do is and moan all day long about the things that you don't have because the world says you don't have them. In case you were wondering, you're not as pretty as you should be. In case you're wondering, you're not rich enough, no powerful enough, no strong enough, no good enough. You're nothing, you're nothing, you're never good enough. And so what do you do? Rogaine. <laughs> Hair dye, whatever people do. I don't have any, so whatever. I do it like this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What's wrong with us? You're living. I'm making you laugh on a Thursday evening. Some of you are grouches, right? Think about, is that not, is that, is not, Laughter's good for the soul. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Laughter's good medicine. The fact that you're laughing. How about the fact that you can laugh? How about there are some people right now, if they laugh, they're in agony. Because they got, I don't know, throat cancer? Lung cancer? I don't know. Brain cancer? And you're complaining about what? And you don't have gratitude for what? You don't have enough of what yet? You didn't get your fill? You're not ready yet to obey? Something, my friends, is wrong. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Any questions? How do we ever not be grateful? Just as He chose us. Hey, were you worthy to be chosen, by the way? And if you don't remember, read Romans 5 when you go home. I know two homework assignments. Were you worthy to be chosen? Say it. Were you? No. Not even close. Not even close. And you know what? He loved you so much, He chose you. And then He, make it, he made it happen. By becoming a man. You know how gross that is for Him? By becoming a man. And then dying for you. Do you forget that? What are you complaining about? What are you waiting for? What is it that you're not ready for yet? True gratitude? Living a life that's free? of the bondage of the flesh. What is it you're waiting for? Those are the things the Spirit's asking us. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. Why? Because He wants to sanctify us, of course. We just read that. To the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. What a mind-blowing reality we live in. How?
do we ever become familiar with it? I'm just as guilty. It's un when you step back and you hear a message like this, it's it's is it fair to say it's embarrassing? It's utterly embarrassing to think about how disgustingly entitled we are. It's grotesque. We earn nothing, we deserve nothing. We only get anything by the merits of Jesus Christ, who isn't us. And we walk around as disgusting peon Americans complaining about our latte grande. Darn this antenna, the Sox game won't come in. This sucks. I'm going to the bar. I'm going to come home and be rude to my family. What the hell is wrong with people? Seriously. I'm going to be disrespectful to my parents. That's right, you two. I'm pointing to both of you guys. Seriously. What's wrong with people? you got so much to be thankful for. What a mind blow this is. And yet, and yet, most Christians, quote-unquote, aren't even educated enough, out of laziness, to even realize that salvation means much, much more than just some forensic details. If that detail even exists in their life at all. Most Christians aren't even educated enough to know that they're saved daily, that sanctification is a daily process, that obedience is what got you entree into salvation in the first place, and it's obedience that makes you sanctified, that ends up making you righteous, and therefore God can sanctify you. And what's the end result of sanctification? Peace and joy and love. You might be shocked at how many Christians don't, wouldn't, if they were sitting here right now, if I rounded up all Christians and my voice was just boomed out to every so-called Christian, what are we going to get? 1% that actually understands a message like this one? What the heck? What the heck? So then you have to ask yourself, are these people actually Christian in the first place? Why is there no thirst for truth? Why is there no evidence of obedience? Knowing the holy God of the universe did the greater thing for me and you. He saved us, plucking us from the throes of spiritual death, gives us hope each and every day that he chooses to keep us alive on this earth. The simple fact that John 3.16 is absolutely true means that God loves us. And it's with the full intimate knowledge of this that our hope rests. Up here on the board, Romans 5.5, 5, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I guess I'll close here. If God loves us enough to take on the form of a man and die for our sins, then we have an unflappable hope that he will certainly do the lesser, that is, sanctify us. A mere forensic viewpoint of salvation will never serve as the substance of our hope. We have to understand, we must understand, if we want to be delivered, we have to understand that our Lord saves us daily. And it's upon this reality that we devote ourselves to Him. We are like a team. He and I, He and you. That's what he wants. Come to me. What do you think he's doing on a night like this? He left all that out there. He's saying, come to me. 
Remember the old, I think it's the foreign song. I want to know what love is. Oh, okay. Well, that wasn't a good rendition. <laughs> you want to know what it is? You want to know what love is? You want to know that thing that, you know, that void that some older people talk about? I always had this thing in my life. I always had this void. Nothing could fill it. Yeah, because there's, there's a hole there that only God can fill. Only relationship with Jesus Christ can fill. And all we do is just pour in other options. And, other, and more options and other works. And we just have explosions in the lab. My Lord saves me daily. And it's upon this reality that I devote myself to him. Again, we are like a team, he and I, and therefore he and you. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. Thank you for always being frank and open and honest with us. Even though it may cut us, it may sting. Thank you for surgically removing disgusting parts of us in our lives. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.